0: Hello and welcome, Jeff Thomas. Jeff, tell us everything that we need to know about you in sixty seconds. I'm uh, eighty five. I spent the first
1: twenty years of my life in Wales. I uh, married in 1965, Yola. Um, we were lived in Aberystwyth for the next fifty two years. Uh, she got Alzheimer's. I nursed her till she died almost seven years ago. I retired then from the ministry. And uh, uh, five years ago, I married an old friend of us both, uh, Barbara Homer Carson, uh, former member of Westminster Chapel, been under Dr. Lloyd Jones's ministry. And uh, we got married five years ago. I came to live in London. My grandson followed me to the church in Aberystwyth, where he's been now for almost seven years. Four boys living in the manse where uh, Yola and I lived. And I live in in Chiswick. And I'm a member of Amian Park a Chapel and in Twickenham. I have a wonderful pastor, Gerard Hemmings, and a lovely church, an earnest evangelistic congregation. I preach um, every Sunday. I've traveled a lot. I've been four times speaking in uh, America this year, and I've got another two visits there in the fall. I have been spending my time writing um, a number of books, and uh, that is my... uh, future now while i have life and strength and health and a spiritual uh, desire and my heart warmed by the great truths of the christian gospel and um, i shall continue like that until he calls me home
0: yeah jeff you say you've retired and i've heard many people say this before i know that you're still extremely busy (laughs) so does it feel like you're actually retired jeff (laughs)
1: Yes, I I don't have uh, officers' meetings to attend, business meetings to attend. I don't have uh, a lot of people that I'm guilty that I haven't visited, that I should visit, and so on. Um, I I have retired from that world, and I am now um, occupied, as I said, in uh, preaching, preparing sermons, and at a different pace i don't yeah. have to prepare three messages each week and uh, th- that is uh, quite a load and i'm finding then um verses from the bible leaping out and saying yeah. oh <laughs> preach on me and i do uh, so yeah. that's uh, the the change it's a yeah. more relaxed and a more enjoyable
0: life than the deep privileges of pastoring a congregation yeah we we'll take us back to the beginning. How did you first become a Christian, Jeff? Well, my mother was saved
1: through a uh, an uncle of hers, her, her mother's brother, Oliver Bound, and he was a wonderful man who uh, loved the Lord and was a great evangelist. When he went anywhere on a bus day out to the beach. He saw all these people and he was moved and he'd get up uh, while his children made sandcastles. He would say, ladies and gentlemen, isn't this a beautiful day? Here we are on the Bristol Channel. We can see Somerset in the distance and God has made all this, you know, and this God has loved us so much. He sent his son Jesus Christ and he's lived the perfect life and died to make atonement for our sins, and we're to receive him into our hearts and lives. And he preached to them. And he carried a text around Pontypris where he ran an antique shop. And he had um, Friday evening meetings where he preached the gospel and taught the word of God to my mother and her sister. And they were both saved at that time. They were let down by their pastors and by their preachers in the Baptist churches they attended. Which I attended with my mother. Uh, I didn't hear the gospel there until we moved um, to to Hengoid, to Tabernacle, which was a congregation of, of older people who had seceded from uh, a church when they were all saved in the 1904 revival, and the minister preached for a decision. And um, one Sunday, as I would walk along the road 100 yards from my home, I would think, I wonder, will God call me to himself tonight? Because I wanted to become a Christian, but I knew he had to stir me and convict me and regenerate me. And um, one Sunday night, as I heard the preaching, I knew I was given assurance that he was my savior who loved me and died for me. And I sat down in the second meeting as the congregation stood to signify that I had made my personal profession. And the minister walked up the aisle and shook my hand and said, God bless you. And a few weeks later, I was baptized and joined the church and took communion for the first time. And that was the beginning of my Christian life. And ever since then, there's not been a day when I have not known I was a Christian when I was behaving as sub Christianly as it's possible for a Christian to behave. I was uh, I was conscious that I was doing bad as a as a Christian. But he's kept me. It be March next year. Seventy years ago then it will be that I have been a follower, a
0: disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Wonderful. Can you remember much about that sermon that night, Jeff? Can you no, remember the I text? Or... I can't remember the
1: text. I can just remember the assurance, the inner witness of the Spirit
0: that God gave to me then. Yeah, yeah. And when did you feel the call to Christian ministry, Jeff? Well,
1: th- that man soon left, and there was not much preaching afterwards. That was I never had a preaching on on Christian doctrine. I had uh, a book given to me, Fundamentalism and the Word of God, by J.I. Packer in my last year in school, because I was off to university, and I read it, I said, oh, I can believe the Bible. It was a just a wonderful insight. And I arrived in Cardiff and I went to the Christian Union and signed in my membership and joined that became the president eventually and then I was asked to preach um in 19 uh 1979 in Dallas where my father uh, was born and raised and uh, then nearly every Sunday I was busy preaching And uh, grew and read, uh, I read Dr. Lloyd-Jones' studies in the Sermon on the Mount. And that was, to me, a very definitive book. It showed me the beauty of the Christian life, a righteous life. How wonderful it is to live like that. And the power God gives you to live like that. And then the preaching, what wonderful, pre- what preaching can do to preach like that? And I think that planted in my heart a desire. I didn't have a confirmation until my last year at seminary. I went to Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia for three years, 61 to 64. And in my last semester there, I talked to Ed Clowney, the president, about the call to the ministry. And he helped me enormously and again from that time I knew that for the rest of my life I must be a a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah Yeah. what do you think you would have done for a career if you hadn't become a pastor Jeff? I suppose I would have drifted into teaching and I wouldn't have been
1: a, a I'm sure I didn't have quite the authority I was a weakness there I would have been bossy or whatever. I, oh, I'm so glad, but I would have been a teacher. Yeah, yeah. And what can you remember
0: about the first time that you preached?
1: Well, I used, like you do, uh, I I used uh, some material from a book I preached on Romans 12, uh, presenting your bodies a living sacrifice, and uh, you know, ah. it took me a long time to find my voice. It took me years to find my own voice. I uh, I didn't have it that first time. In the two sermons, I I, I preached I preached in the evening on Acts two thirty eight, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Those were the two sermons. I remember the, the occasion very vividly, and felt at home in in, in the pulpit straight away. And uh, so I am finding being relaxed into being yourself. I I wanted to be like Lloyd-Jones and I wanted to be like um, Donald MacLeod and Al Martin. Um, And John Thomas was a great role model for me. And historically, I wanted to be like Whitfield and McShane um, and just getting to the point where I could relax and tell my own story with my own experience and the learning I
0: had. That took too long. (laughs) You, you, you mentioned feeling at home straight away. Um, did you remember feeling nervous? Did you did you feel nervous? And, and is nerve something that you've had to um, overcome when you pray? Yes, ter- terribly nervous. The
1: most nervous times of all were, firstly, when I saw Dr Lloyd-Jones walking around the corner through the vestry window and thinking he's come to hear me. And that was terrifying. And secondly, when I preached at the Banner of Truth Conference for the first time and thought the men were all giants, and I was a pygmy preaching to them, I was terrified. Um, But those sorts of fears then uh, didn't last. And I had uh, um, help from God to, to speak. Um, and I've had many great honours. The greatest honour was to preach at Aberystwyth at the Evangelical Movement of Wales conference. Um, I gave four morning conference addresses on Daniel, and that came out as a book, and it's sold out at the present time. Uh, that's been my my most uh, blessed and honoured Experience and then, oh, I quickly had the others, you know, to preach in Westminster Chapel that was wonderful. Uh, To preach um, at Westminster Seminary's graduation twice, 40 years between each visit I've made for those commencement exercises. How wonderful those honours have been, and to teach there uh, and Reform Seminary, and for Joel Beakey. I'm not. I, I'm. I. I. I'm not a, a theological lecturer, though. I'm a, a local, a local boy, a local pastor. That's yeah. that's my delight, and so I preach very small congregations in London, and sometimes large congregations. MacArthur, I spoke there to two and a half thousand people last yeah. October. That was extraordinary, yeah. and I wasn't feeling <laughs> well, <laughs> but uh, I. Um, once you get into preaching, it doesn't matter if you're twenty-five or if you're two and a half thousand. You 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 are wrapped up in the word. Within yeah. minutes of starting, you are you are communicating the word of God to people, and uh, so it's immaterial to me how many are in. It, it's how am I involved and engaged and drawn in existentially to this word that I'm bringing to the people, and. Do I have help from heaven? Those are the key things. Yeah,
0: yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Jeff, when you look back at 50 years of pastoral ministry, if you could go back now and speak to the young Jeff Thomas just starting out, what advice would you have for him? I'd say don't absolutize the Lloyd-Jones approach
1: like you did so that you had systematic expository preaching morning and evening. It's a very difficult kind of preaching. and I uh, I should have done a lot jones in the morning, say go through books in the Bible, go through short sections, go through the first chapter of Galatians, the first chapter, and then sell paperbacks of the rest of Galatians for them to read and first John, the first John, Opening chapter is wonderful, and then sell books and go on. You know, do about ten messages, and uh, do that for First Corinthians, and uh, do that for uh, John's Gospel. Just give them a taste and get, and uh, and then. The books that everyone loves, uh, the Climax, 2 Timothy and uh, Philippians and the Beatitudes and the life of Elijah. And do um, studies like that in in early life on Sunday mornings and then preach on the big texts of Scripture like Spurgeon did um, from the New Testament, from Isaiah, from the Psalms. Those summaries right through 1st and 2nd Chronicles, which are so vivid the prayers uh, and the uh, conclusions of triumph and disaster. And I would preach on those big texts most of my ministry, just like Spurgeon did. And when Lloyd Jones came to travel to Wales, he toured with texts that he had found most helpful. They had a good structure. They had um, good anecdotes and illustrations. They had a strong evangelistic appeal. And I, I think that is the need of this hour. And um, I would urge a young man to aim at that every Sunday um, perhaps, you know, do that every Sunday morning and then expository in the night if that's when the crowd comes, because yeah. evening congregations dwindle now and many churches no longer have evening congregations. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How much time did you used to spend preparing for a sermon? And I'm also interested, what sort of notes did you used to take into the pulpit?
1: Well, I um I have the Tuesday night meeting and I prepare for that Tuesday. And then Wednesday, I'd begin in the evening the uh, Sunday morning sermon and try to finish that by Thursday night and Friday then do the other sermon and finish that by lunchtime Saturday. I have Saturday afternoon to be with my little girls and my wife, and we'd go somewhere. Um, I, you see, I, I did very full notes. I, I don't need very full notes. When I preach in the open air or when something happens these days, I can stand and I can be a Welsh windbag and <laughs> speak at, at the drop of a hat, like Speaking to you now is no burden to me whatsoever. I, I'm quick thinking, but um I I was too reliant on my notes. You know, I'm so I did the whole series say on Mark, Luke, Romans, Genesis, Philippians, First and Second Timothy, um, Ephesians. Um, Zechariah, some of the Psalms Uh, I transcribed them all and I put them on my website there are about 800 sermons now on my website and um, I I pay something like 30 pounds a month to have them a lot of money uh, a pound a day really to have them there, it's my gift to the world, and I I know there are pastors all over the world who benefit still. You know, ten years after I stopped preaching in Alfred Place, those sermons are there um, from the year two thousand to um, two thousand and seventeen or eighteen, and the benefit are that benefits are that. There are people um, all over the world, preachers especially, but other uh, people who read my sermons and find them very useful. But I think the engagement with the congregation was too much centered on the written manuscript before me, and I didn't have the eye-to-eye contact and challenge and so on with the people that I should have had. But um, there we are. There There are pros and cons um nowadays i just have an uh, uh an outline which i write down and uh, yeah and scribble in different colors and underline and so on that's what i use yeah. now but i still use some of the older sermons too which are pretty full but um yeah. i i know what i've got to say
0: yeah yeah You've really touched on some of them, Jeff, but what are some of the highlights that first come to mind when you think of how the Lord has used you?
1: Yes, I mentioned uh, the highlights of being invited to speak in different places. I know the lowlights rather than the highlights, which which, uh, still make me groan. Um, There were times When I preached. And after I'd said the benediction, no one moved. And I walked up the aisle to the congregation to shake hands with them as they left. And people just remained sitting in their pews under the authority of the word that had been preached and the Savior who had been present and had dealt with them. And that, uh, those were the, the, the great times that God gave me. And there was a prayer once. I was asked to pray at a panel of truth conference and the spirit came upon me as I prayed. I don't think there'd be many times when I've prayed like that. And um, the congregation, those men, you know, two to three hundred ministers with me and humbled and I spoke, but I was speaking through them on behalf of them. Those would be great times. And other times, um, my grandson, Oshan was converted hearing me preach on the prodigal son. Uh, two years ago, and a year ago, I preached at his baptism. And I... uh, that no, those are very precious times, like the conversion and baptisms of my three daughters. And they are just giants in the faith. They are so godly and wise and fun to be with. And they raise their children so that of my nine children, three of them are in full-time Christian work now, pastoring, working for Intervarsity in the churches of and the universities of Wales. God has, in spite of all my my ego, God has has blessed my my loved ones. They've the angel in the pulpit is sometimes the devil in the kitchen, and God has overruled that even. And they've been forgiving to me and thankful, <laughs> thankful for the blessings that uh, of re- the reality of the empty tomb yeah. and a risen living savior. That's impacted itself upon them. And uh, that's the goodness and long suffering of God towards me
0: yeah so good you you mentioned about uh some of the lowest points uh, in your ministry what are those jeff and, and how did you deal with discouragement
1: yeah uh the low the low points are the one that immediately comes to mind is when you have um set out on a book of the Bible and it is heavy going and you're trapped in it and you go through a season in which your preaching is laboured and for example when I did 1 John after the first chapter it is a most difficult book to preach through And Galatians, similarly, I'm going back 50 years. And then there was John Stott and John Brown. They were the two commentaries. And they were very much expositional, theological. They weren't much help to the preacher. And there are two or three chapters in Galatians, which are exceedingly intense and and theological and complex. And uh, um, I didn't have the ability at that time. I, I buried a congregation going through things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's why I'm saying be careful about committing yourself morning and evening and the prayer meeting to, expositions. I read um, a man saying that you should preach through the whole Bible or that you should preach through it all in 10 years and then repeat it the next 10 years. And um, and he could do that. But because he could do that, it didn't mean that others could. And in our attempt to do that, we are just giving glorified Bible studies, mm-hmm. and a lot of preaching today is simply that, big mm-hmm. chunks of the Bible, going through Second Timothy, in four sermons, a chapter, a sermon, and because yeah. of that, you are just explaining, explaining, you're giving a Bible study, You've got little time for explanation of getting under the skin of people, of touching their conscience, of moving their affections. You're just explaining and explaining, doing Hebrews in 13 sermons. Well, you know, it's too rich. You've diluted it so much. You've absolutized the explanatory aspect of preaching, but there's an applicatory aspect of preaching as well, in which you don't just give a Bible study. You give a Bible study, but you do more than that. You speak to the conscience. You touch um, the mind of man so that he repents. And then you go through that to speak to the affections, to um, make a person love Jesus Christ more and love his neighbor as himself. And then you go through that again and you, 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 you speak to the will, which is the citadel of the soul. And you desire that that will should bend should come to a decision and you challenge the congregation i want you to come to a decision tonight i want you to believe on jesus christ and repent of your unbelief and don't go away as you came here go away with jesus christ and then you beseech them and plead with them and and you You can't do that if you're big a big chunk of a historical book from the Old Testament or you're going through Malachi in in six messages and you're explaining and explaining uh, that has its place. but the great need of the hour is conversions. and people say, why aren't we seeing more conversions? And the answer to that is you're not preaching for conversions. You're not explaining uh, how to be saved and what you must do. And you're not pleading with people to be saved. And so um, that is uh, one of the weaknesses of the pulpit at the present time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Jeff, you you really touched on what your week looked like in terms of being really busy preparing for three messages per week. How did you um, protect your own quiet time with the Lord, so that you know your own time didn't end up becoming um, influenced by what you was preaching on on Sunday? How, how did you kind of manage that process? I didn't manage it. Um total failure there. Um, yeah, if you want
1: to humble um, uh, a preacher, ask him about his praying, and immediately he will say, "Well." It's just so poor i I fall back on what Spurgeon said uh pray often and pray briefly, and i I do that you know we we meet for breakfast and we have a reading together, and we pr- both pray together for the day and for our friends and the list and the people that we add to that list and unconverted grandchildren and the situation in our congregations, and we do that. And we read, going through Luke at the, at the present time. And then um, there are letters I get sent for people asking for help. And there are articles I'm asked to write, and there are books I'm writing. And um, so all the time I'm praying for those things. I'm asking God to help me um, through the morning, the different tasks that are there, and then ask God to bless it and bless these people who are uh, writing to me. And then, you know, we meet together for an evening meal. My wife and I will pray at the beginning again of, things done. It's so much easier to pray with people. I never miss the prayer meeting on a Wednesday night and um, always would find something to pray about audibly. It's not the, the church I, I spent a long time in, but it's a church that I've been a member of for five years and love the people there and uh, love their praying and join with them in praying for the, the people that are there. So um, but I never got into a routine um, that I should have. That mm-hmm. after breakfast or before breakfast or whenever it was a time, and then I had a time alone with God um, and went through the McShane or my own scheme there in my book, uh, reading the Bible and prayed. About what God was saying to me, responded to Him in prayer. Oh, it's been just um, a very sad weakness in my life that meant not being the 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 awakening preacher that I I should have been. I'm sorry. So beware for my poor example and uh, deal with that, like you brush your teeth every evening so get into a routine i put eye drops in every evening i do that i have a breakfast every morning i meet with god every day and speak to him every day and uh, um, yeah i want my heart to burn within me as he
0: speaks to me
1: yeah
0: it's really helpful jeff thank you Jeff, having been recognized and celebrated for decades as a gifted preacher, which has resulted in writing books and speaking at some big conferences, like you were saying, how have you managed to keep pride at bay? I
1: have as big an ego as anyone I know. And um, God deals with it. Oh, yes. I. Um, it was a man and he said to me, now... Um, If you see anything in me that's that's sinful, you tell me. And I'll tell you if I see things in you that need to be put right. And he did. (laughs) That wasn't very pleasant. And I don't know if he was really truthful in understanding in what he said. But there was something in him and I told him about it and Ah, he was quite upset. and um, Ah, my. I vowed then I wouldn't do that again. I wouldn't. It wasn't my mission. It wasn't my calling. And God has been the one who has said to me, you humble yourself and I will humble you. And you confess your sins like I will confess to you, David, my my weaknesses. I acknowledge them. And God has been so good. He's hidden my sins from the people who love me the most. Mm. He's been so gracious to do that. And I then have a calling to hide. Other men's sins, not to talk about them, not to parade them. And and God humbles me. God reminds me of ah oh, events, the people I've hurt, the girlfriends I hurt, and they wonder where they are and um, how how they've got on in their lives and the silly things that the neglect, the sins of omission, um, my failures, the lusts of the flesh, greed and pride, and um, the way I I can hurt my wife um, by arrogance and criticism, uh, and the Lord constantly is humbling me in letting me do these things and then I apologize and um, the Lord brings me low. He, he's in charge. It's his vocation. It's his calling to humble me in these ways. And um, so, you know, he's begun this good work in me and he's continuing it in all of us as Christians. And he is molding us and shaping us. We say that sanctification is effectual in every single believer. It is effectual because God is at work in our lives. Um, We present our bodies to him, and then he takes control of them, and he moves our bodies, our minds, our souls, our spirits, our hearts, and he's at work. And he humbles us. Um, And if there have been conspicuous displays of ego, there will be conspicuous displays of humbling on God's part uh, because he wants to change us into the image of Christ. And um, when we see him, that process will be complete. But on my deathbed, I know that there will be one word I will say to Jesus when I see him, and that word will be mercy, mercy of pity, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Be merciful to me. And pride and ego will be one of the things I'll need his
0: forgiveness for. Yeah. Yeah. One of the many blessings of the Christian life is the friendships that we make along the way, Jeff. Who have been some of your closest friends over the years, and what impact have they had on you?
1: Oh, many, many. I'm an only child, and I I had friends. I went to camp. I met in camp what I didn't have in my own church. um, Men my own age, 18, 17, 19, who were mature. Oh, they're praying. Oh, I hadn't heard people pray like that. And then there was a uh, 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 CSSM, Children's Special Service Mission, with Scripps and David Quentin Lewis, St. Leslie. Wow, I adored him. He was such a all-round sweet, godly, able man. And then Elwin Davis with the Intervarsity was the Traveling Secretary and... Uh, he taught me justification by faith. I owe him an enormous debt. And then he, owe, he taught me man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him. And that I, I learned basic Christian truths from him. And then there was Martin Lloyd-Jones, of course. And I heard him first in 1958 preaching. And I can't remember even his text, but I knew this is enormously important, what he is and what he is saying. And I, oh, I, I must find out more about him. And then I read the books that he wrote. And every year I heard him. And He was my role model. And then Ian Murray. I read Forgotten Spurgeon and read it, subscribed to the Banner of Truth. And Ian Murray became a wonderful counselor to me and still is. And now in his 90s, he's he still writes me little letters every month, and uh, he's been an enormous influence over my life. And then John Murray was my theology teacher, and uh, he was the man most full of God I've ever met. And I wish I'd interviewed him when he preached in Aberystwyth on a couple of times and taken tapes of, of, of his life. And then um, Edward J. Young gave me the Old Testament, And um, then uh, there were other men then in Wales that I greatly admired, John Thomas and Hugh Morgan and um, Omri Jenkins. Um, And then there were men my own age, like Neil Richards. Oh, what a beautiful life and a humble life he was. And Irvon Hughes has been a close friend. And then my wife, of course. And her sister and her sister's husband, he's my closest friend, Keith Lewis. And I've never heard him say anything unworthy or do an unworthy act. And uh, we had three children each who grew up together as very close cousins. And they're all in the Lord, the six of them. And um, um, I was with Keith and my sister-in-law last Saturday. And, you know, we're in our mid-80s now, and we've known each other since 1959. And what a wonderful friendship. What a wonderful example he is. I can share with him anything. And then preachers came. Then Donald MacLeod taught me the moral application of theology. He taught me the greatness of the person of Jesus Christ. He taught me the cross and the sufferings of Christ. I'm indebted to him. I preach his messages. They've been such a help to me. Al Martin showed me about application and evangelistic concern. Um, Joel beakey has been a great friend of mine, and uh, he's been an example to me, and I've profited from what he has had to say. And now my own pastor, Gerard Hemings. I'm indebted to him for his... uh, His pastoring, his counsels, his friendship. So yes, um, I am surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that are telling me to lay aside every weight, even the sin that so easily uh, uh, grips me, and to run with patience
0: the race then that is almost almost at an end. Yeah. You mentioned that you would have loved to have interviewed John Murray. Uh, I'm curious, what, what question, if you could ask him one question, Jeff, what would you have asked him? I would have asked him about his father, Alexander, who was one of the
1: men in the north of Scotland at the end of the 19th century and into the 20th century. Extraordinary man of God amongst a group of men that answered the question at communion seasons and had such an influence over his children. And I would have asked about growing up in that home. And then I would have asked about um, his uh, his time fighting in the First World War. He and his two brothers fought, 1914 1918. His two brothers were killed. And he, through shrapnel, lost the sight of one eye and was wounded and came home. And then I would have asked her going to Princeton and what it was like to become a friend of J. Gresham Machen and be taught by him and work with him at Westminster Seminary. Um, Machen's my great hero. And um, those would have been the questions I would love. Um, It's 50 years almost since his death and we're bringing out some um, sermons and booklets about his life and his book of sermons and his prayers. That's perhaps the best book I've ever read, which came out two years ago, published by the Westminster Seminary.
0: Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Jeff, what are some of the attacks on the church that you've experienced over your lifetime, and where do you see the biggest threats to the church today?
1: Well, the attacks were very, very powerful throughout the 20th century, especially in a university town with such a stress on eggheads and intellectualism. And we in Wales had an inferiority complex. We were a little country next to the giant country of England and part of Europe, and we weren't going to fall behind what the newest insights into Christianity were we weren't going to be the country bumpkins. And so the attack then came through Germany, through Graf Wellhausen, and through liberalism and neo-orthodoxy right through to Barth. And um, that just undermined the truthfulness of the Bible. And it was a universalism. It was a, really a new, another gospel which used Christian words. Machen went to Marburg and was confronted by it, and it could have killed him, but um, God kept him. And 100 years ago this year, he brought out Christianity and Liberalism. And that book, it could have been written yesterday. It is wonderfully relevant. New editions of it have come out to mark its 100th anniversary. And it shows that liberalism is another religion. It's not Christianity, though it uses Christian words. So um, that in from Bangor University going east to England, from Aberystwyth University going east through and. Radnorshire, and Breconshire and Montgomeryshire, and in the north, Gwynedd, and Anglesey, and uh, and Merionethshire, It killed vital Christianity, this liberalism, because if it's the brotherhood of God and the fatherhood of man, you get that from every political party and every social movement, every trade union. And so in South Wales, in Cardiff and Swansea, they were confronted with Many Baptist churches which preached the gospel. They were confronted with a forward movement in the Presbyterian church. Lloyd Jones and uh, the group of people he gathered uh, uh, around him. There were the mission halls and the Plymouth Brethren and the early Pentecostal churches, which were Bible uh, preaching churches. And so it never made in Wales the impact that it made. Um, in the desert of mid Wales and, and North Wales, South Wales was the Bible Belt, and so um, that's uh, out of that. Then um, preachers have emerged and churches have emerged, and nowadays right across North Wales and in mid Wales, um, we've got gospel churches that have, like the phoenix rising out of the ashes, have come out of the ashes of 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 modernism. And now um, that movement has been discredited. Uh, And neo-Orthodoxy, which was supposed to be the theology of the word, where are the churches that have been built up by neo-Orthodoxy? Where are the neo-Orthodox evangelists? They do not exist. So um, what is uh, one of the challenges was the charismatic movement and the claims that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit were for today. The gifts of apostle and prophet. And, you know, an apostle had to be a a witness of the resurrection of the dead and had to have a calling from God so that he could write infallibly the letters and gospels that you have in the New Testament. So the claim that you can have, the signs of an apostle. In anyone today is is wrong and has to be resisting. And uh, of course, God works and God gives us words that uh, l- lie on our heart from scripture. And God then he gives us a gift to, I've learned Welsh and I preach in Welsh. Now he gave me the gift of tongues to preach in, uh, in the Welsh congregations in London. I do that every year. And, um, you know, with my, child book, childish kind of Welsh, but I speak and they enjoy me because that's the Welsh they know. and uh, So I have the what is today, the gift of tongues, and I've seen people wonderfully healed when doctors have said they only have a year or two to live and they're still alive today. So God does wonderful things. I'm not against the miraculous or answers of prayer, but the idea that um, if you speak in tongues, if you have glossolalia, you, that you are filled with the Spirit, I I think that's a great error. I think yeah. um, the people mistake themselves if they think because if they think that because tongue speaking doesn't cost anything, and every other gift you nurture it, it grows and it develops, and it's tested and it is welcomed in the congregation. No one says about a tongue speaker. Oh, when he began, he was he was such a juvenile. But now when he speaks in tongues, we're all edified and transformed, and we're going to write a book about the messages that he's brought to us. No one says that. No one says that at all. So you can have Catholics and Protestants and liberals and conservatives. You have the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, you have Denzel Washington. You have Norman T. Wright, the... Uh, the Bible commentator, and they all say they 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 speak in tongues. It's a it's something you ought to be very careful about encouraging, uh, and so um, I uh, I know dear Arminian brothers who preach Christ and preach the gospel, and God has blessed their ministry. Uh, I'm not saying that we are the only ones who preach the gospel. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that um, the the confessions of faith, Athanasian Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Thirty Nine Articles, the Westminster Confession, the 1689 Baptist Confession, the 1823 Confession, that those full expositions of what Christianity is, out of that heritage come um, the reformers and come. Whitfield and come Spurgeon and come Lloyd Jones, and the men that have most blessed me and have influenced me have been men that have preached the whole counsel of God, and they they've done it with the help and blessing of God because they love the truth that these doctrines declare.
0: Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Have there been any significant shifts in your theology over your lifetime, Jeff? I don't think so. I heard Ernest
1: Kevin once say that the last words of his father to him were the great truths of the gospel. I believed when I became a Christian. I believe them yet. And it's a great thing to hold that. I never want to say anything original or unique that hasn't been said by thousands of men for the 2,000 years of the church. I want to parrot what the apostles were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write in the four Gospels and the 21 letters and Acts and Revelation. I, I, I want to reflect that in my preaching. So um, I don't believe the, the, the change in the last years. I am much more evangelistic and much more challenging to a congregation and call them to make a decision that night and beseech them and point them to Jesus Christ and warn them of the dangers to come, that change has occurred, and I wish it had occurred many years ago in my ministry.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you were on a desert island and you were only allowed to take three things, what would they be, Jeff?
1: I don't know what I'd do on a desert island without my computer, without Wi-Fi. I'm so dependent, like I'm depending on it now. Just talk to you here, and oh, I, 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 I don't know what I do. I get my daily newspaper on it, and uh, you know, I r- r- read letters that I get sent and I send, um, and I get articles and. Yeah, i I miss that, and if I'm not going to have that, I'd need a book, of course. So I'd have Joel bekey's Systematic Theology. I think that that would be terrific. And then okay. music, I'd. I got a, an album of, uh, Shostakovich's symphonies, and I know some of them, but others of them, I I need to listen and listen to appreciate, if that that music and if I'm going to be there for a while I think I'd better take uh, uh, Shostakovich and then um, I take a photograph album with the photographs of the last 50 years from childhood and marriage mum and dad um, Yola, my children um, my grandchildren great-grandchildren Barbara, my present wife, our wedding day, and the people that were there, um, I'd go over. That would trigger off many happy memories. So a photograph album, Beaky's Systematics, and then I would take Shostakovich as well for intellectual aesthetic um, stimulus in the quiet
0: evenings on the desert Island
1: under the palm tree.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Jeff, this has been such a pleasure for me to be able to speak Ah. to you for the last hour. Thank you so, so much. Before we let you go, please take a moment to let us know your closing thoughts. I,
1: we prayed that this morning, that I would honor my savior and that, uh, People would be sympathetic and they would, they would see through what was superficial and too egocentric and that they would see the Lord Jesus and that they would cast their depression and fear and lack of assurance on a very caring and loving Lord and that he would help them and that they would know the jesus i know and love a hundred times better than i do and serve him a hundred times better also it all comes from the knowledge of this this great savior jesus christ
0: jeff thank you so much jeff i'm going to make sure that there's a link um, in the description below so wherever you're watching or listening to this interview, make sure that you uh, check out Jeff's books and we'll make sure there's links to Jeff's other books as well in the description. Jeff, thanks again for your time. Brilliant.
1: Thank you very much for asking me. Goodbye now.